The views and opinions expressed by hosts, invited speakers, and callers do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. Lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms... Peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century slavery. Hosted by social activist Max Parthness with New Abolitionist and actionist Johanna Elia and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking along with people and projects who help combat it. Today is October 21st, 2015. Asserting that too many people are behind bars that don't belong there, more than 130 police chiefs, prosecutors, and sheriffs, including some of the most prominent law enforcement officials in the country, are adding their clout to the movement to reduce the nation's incarceration rate. The group includes the police chiefs of the nation's largest cities, including William J. Bratton of New York, Charlie Beck of Los Angeles and Gary F. McCarthy of Chicago, as well as prosecutors from around the country, including Cyrus R. Vance Jr., the Manhattan District Attorney. Also, Wisconsin's capital city arrested nearly one-third of the black children who lived there in 2013. A report from the UC, uh, UCLU, ACLU found that more than 80% of the children who are sent to state Juvenile detention centers from Madison's Dane County are black youth. Many black children are arrested for normal childhood behavior. You're charged with crimes like disorderly conduct. According to Amren.com, a black child is 14 times more likely to be arrested for disorderly conduct in Madison than a white child. Further, rather than face federal investigations, Judicial Correction Services Incorporated, a company that was once criticized by a judge as helping Harpersville run a debtor's prison and judicially sanctioned extortion racket, is being allowed to pull up stakes and leave scot-free after dozens of towns canceled contracts with the company around the state. JCS issued a brief statement Monday that it was ceasing operations in Alabama. <clears throat> Our message is getting out. A little-known provision in the Kentucky Constitution that still allows for slavery as a form of punishment is drawing calls for change in next year's General Assembly. Specifically, Section 25 of the Kentucky Constitution states that slavery and involuntary servitude in this state are forbidden, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted. It's inapplicable and it's outdated language, said John uh, Johnson, executive director of the Kentucky Commission on Human Rights. The horror of slavery and what it means, we ought not have that in our public constitution. The Human Rights Commission is urging lawmakers to pass legislation next year to amend the wording. 
If adopted by a three-fifths majority in both the House and the Senate, voters will still have to approve the changes in 2016 general election. And tallying more than 600,000 online votes over the last months, Women on 20s has been campaigning to replace Jackson with a woman they have, and the woman that they have chosen is Harriet Tubman, the 19th century abolitionist who escaped slavery and led other slaves to freedom via the Underground Railroad as they're picked to adorn the $20 bill and now plans to petition the White House. Uh, their goal is to have the new bill in circulation by the year 2020. Finally, today we will not be doing our America is Ferguson segment. Instead, we'll open the lines for callers and continue next week with Nevada is Ferguson. And to be honest with you, with all the natural disasters and things that's going on in our life, I really just haven't had the time to do the research. So we'll do it next week. And this time, we'll give that opportunity for people to give us a call. This week's rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Sean Whirl. More than 25 years after police tortured him into confessing to a murder he didn't commit, Sean Whirl walked out of an Illinois prison Wednesday afternoon finally free. An appeals court in August threw out his conviction and ordered a new trial, but he never went back to court. Prosecutors dropped the case, and on Tuesday, a judge dismissed all charges. Our abolitionist in profile is William Lambert, 1817 to 1890. Expect all of that and more tonight on New Abolitionist Radio. You can find archive podcasts at newabolitionistradio.blogspot.com, and we invite you to join the conversation by calling us at one 641 Seven one five three six six zero extension five four nine zero three two pound. Just press star six and one to queue up from the conference line. Once more, I'm Max Barthes. What's happening, Scotty? What's up, Johanan? Um, I don't think Johanan saying that he can't hear us, man. Um, I don't have any complaints. Let me see if I can add him back to the call. Looks like he's not even on the call, so that might be why you can't hear. <laughs> you know, I was laughing because most of what I just <laughs> you went, there, Johanna. I went by memory. <laughs> My computer's so frozen up, it ain't even funny. <clears throat> okay, um, I'm calling Johanna. And, um, I'm showing that he's there, but I'm not. He- I don't know if he can hear us or or what's going on, man. Wow, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, yeah, he's been running into some problems over the past few weeks, uh, coming home just barely enough time to get plugged in and get on as an as a host. <clears throat> but you got to do what you got to do in this day and age, man, to earn that bread, I guess. You know? I see um, him logged yeah. on. Yeah, he said, uh, let me see. He's about to call in on the cell phone. All right. Uh, let me see uh, once he gets in over there. Man, I'm I'm be honest with you. I'm tired, kind of burned out. Um, <clears throat> just a lot of mental stress right now. I'm thinking about taking next week off. Uh, the thing about it is that when I take next week off, then all the programs I engineered will be off too. Uh, I'm willing to take a break too. Uh, I could use a week off. It's been four years. You ain't never gave me a vacation yet, bro. <laughs> 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 you know. <laughs> But yeah, I would take a week off. Uh, we got a few things that are going on this week too, and and we need to move. Remember, so you know we're trying to recover from this natural disaster. So, yeah, I'll probably need some time off anyway. Yeah, uh, check this out, man. Have you heard something about ten black churches been burnt down in the uh, past since Ferguson or something? I don't know. It's like uh, let me see, six black churches have burned in the past ten days in Ferguson. 
and our president has not said anything. Uh, that's coming from a, a listener and contributor to Black Talk Radio Network, uh, Brother LaRon, saying that I have not heard anything about it. Had you heard anything like that? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I had heard about it, uh, and it's in such a short period of time. And not only is the president not saying anything about it, but the media is not saying anything about it either. If not okay. for places like ourselves mentioning it, sharing that information, it wouldn't be available right now. I haven't seen that on any of the major networks. If somebody has, let me know. Oh, man, I just gave him the wrong telephone number. He's trying to get Johan in one. There was something that just came out earlier today that made me smile. And that and what's was that? Uh, this judge out in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, refused to use a stacked jury. I mean, he just refused to use an all-white jury. And he, uh, at one point, I guess he had a black defendant there. He's a black judge. And they went through uh, dozens of different potential jurors and finally selected an all-white jury. And he's like, no, I'm not having it. And he refused to do it and made him uh, go back and find another jury. I mean, it just sounds so simple. It makes so much sense. You know what I mean? A jury of your peers well, is not white people when you're a black person. But see, I don't want us. I don't want people falling for the myth that just because you got somebody black that they gonna practice justice. I mean, we've seen too many cases uh, showcase people. Uh, who are not interested in practicing justice, even though, you know, they look like you and me, Max. Skin, I don't think skin color has a lot to do with it. Um, in terms of the jury pool, I mean, that's pretty much a given, though. You know, you should, the, the jury pool should look like the community. All right. If it's an all white community, then I suspect it's going to be an all white, uh, jury. But if it's not, then it should reflect the makeup of, of that community. But more importantly for me, man, I want to see empathy testing. And I ain't talking about empathy just singling out white people and giving them the test. I'm talking about black people too. Whoever, whatever jury uh, person is in the pool, uh, part of the process should make them go through an empathy test. Because, I mean, you know, in terms of skin color, I don't think that really has nothing to do with it. I've seen juries that go right along with lynching a brother or sister and sending them right onto that slave plantation. Now, we fortunately, what was that last week where we talked about, um, or was that on my program, Max, the uh, young activist or protester in Baltimore where a jury found him not guilty? and whatnot that yeah yeah so i mean that's rare because usually you know what i'm saying most people man they they always believe what the prosecutors say they always believe the police and whatnot but i guess you know the latest uh movement that's been out there in the street is starting to make some people like hold up wait a minute i can't believe everything that the police see because now i'm seeing videos of them just shooting unarmed people with their hands up or running away and and all of this and that but i think empathy testing should be a part of it I think it might be a good idea to have empathy testing as a part of it. Uh, We was talking recently about how racism uh, is practiced systemically, and we screen people for simple things like marijuana use, which is, you know, a quality of life thing. Right. And we don't screen them for racism. And then we put them in charge of all of our, you know, uh, 
most important systems. Yeah. You know, we end up with things like redlining and mass incarceration and the resurgence of slavery, not only on a national level or community level, but on a global level, as we showed last week. Yeah, but I just don't, I, I don't want people to think, because I'm hearing that from, like, so-called elected officials or appointed officials. It don't matter. I've been hearing, oh, we need more people of color on the police force. Well, hell, didn't you see that black jailer going extra hard on that black dude in Georgia that, you know, they ended up beating him to death, then tased him while he was sitting in a soul. Skin color ain't got nothing to do with justice, man. Just as an example, in 2013, the director of the Bureau of Prisons was a black man. The president was a black man. man. The attorney general was a black man. The longest-running commissioner for the entire state of Mississippi prison systems was a black man. And what did we get out of all of that? What what did that black power bring us? Well, I I wouldn't classify them as black. They might classify themselves as black, but I call them types African-Americans. There's this system promotes corruption. It embraces corruption. It supports corruption. That's what it means to be an American. Once you get involved in it. I'm serious, man. I'm not saying this cause, you know, Scotty just some asshole who don't like America or something like that. But I'm saying all the history that I read, all the studying that we do in connection to this program, you know, that's what it means to be an American is to be a corrupt a uh, 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 crooked ass country man that's practicing slavery and human trafficking on levels never seen before in, in terms of human recorded history we have never seen the level of slavery and human trafficking being practiced on a grander scale than what we're seeing right now yeah we pointed that out specifically with what we exposed last week uh, some of the highlights of course you can always go back and listen to the archives and check it out but we showed how slavery is going global in places you would have never expected slavery to be you know why are there private prisons and uh, why do the scottish have private prisons <laughs> you know um max if you don't mind if i could just give some quick network news i'm gonna go ahead and make the decision that um i'm gonna take next week off um there are some things i need to take care of so starting sunday night um but there will still be programming on it's just programming that I won't be engineering it is it'll be from some of our media partners so those shows with programs will still be going on um tonight Lotus Place is not coming on cause Sister Rose is on vacation she says she's going to be on vacation for 2 weeks so um, I might as well use that window then to get a weekend for myself and then like you stated Max you got that going on and um, you know with the move and everything relocating and so yeah we'll take next week off a of live programming sounds good brother sounds do we good. got you brother Johanna man cause I know the listeners want to hear from you man we was worried about you last week we thought you was gonna get caught up like that other brother down there in Palm Beach Gardens car broke down and next thing you know he's dead by a plane's closed cop I'm here y'all can you hear me yep we can hear you Sound a little, a little muted, but we can definitely hear you. Peace to the abolitionists. I'm back. <laughs> man, the struggle is real, ain't it? <laughs> yeah, man, it's real. It's like, I mean, it's like we really are going up through different levels and facing different devils, you know? It's uh, it's all kind of different things that go on to try to prevent this program behind the scenes that people don't even know. We just we just come on the program anyway and don't even really say nothing. But, you know, last week... I had uh, I was on the highway, man, and the car started overheating. 
<clears throat> and I had my family actually with me driving in a separate car. And uh, I got off on the exit ramp, and they kept on riding. Like, I guess he going somewhere else. So I called him. was like, y'all didn't see me getting over. Where you going? So they turned around and came back eventually. Um, but, yeah, I, so I wasn't really worried I was going to just be by myself. Or, not that it takes more than a couple seconds. I mean, you know, as soon as they see you, see you pull over or whatever, it could just easily be like that, brother, like what you mentioned, and, and the whole thing changes. But, yeah, I, I got on back to the house uh safe and sound, so I'm back on the program tonight, and of course, immediately having uh, issues trying to get on the network, that's why I sound a little bit different tonight, I'm not on the on the regular microphone, I'm actually calling in to the program, so yeah, we're just fighting through. Yeah, I'm trying to get that brother's name, I had uh, published an article about him, um, but I don't see it right away, there are just so many victims, man, and I was telling people, I wasn't joking when I was telling people last week on air, you know, y'all need to keep your hiding in your prayers and send them positive vibrations, send a a cloak of protection or something, because anything could happen, and then next thing you know, here I'm hearing about this brother, car broke down, uh, pulls over on the off-ramp. Uh, what's that? His name was Corey Jones. Corey Jones, yeah, Corey Jones. And his brother had just talked to him on the phone, and he said he was waiting on the tow truck. And then the next thing you know, the brother hears that his brother is dead. You know, he went from needing a ride to being dead. So, man, it could happen at any moment, man. I'm glad you made it back safe. We did an expose some months ago about Palm Beach Gardens out there where they were doing that to a lot of black men and they were justifying all these killings. It came to the point where 95% of all of the police killings out there by those that organization had been justified. And they would justify it minutes after it was done on national television. And they did an interview with the uh, sheriff out there and, and spoke in detail on it. So this is a pattern and practice happening in that specific area area oh yeah and this young brother uh, is just the most recent yeah if people would recall we reported on this program also how they had that uh palm beach sheriff's office that pbso.com i think or whatever uh, it was a a chat room that they encouraged uh police officers to come in and speak candidly about you know the realities of what they really doing and the dirt they doing and all that. And I mean, the Palm Beach Sheriff's Office never disputed. You know any of the claims that were made there. And they talked about. Remember, we talked about it on the program how they were saying they're planting evidence, uh, planting a gun, or planting drugs on folks. That was just you know how you commonly get down. Um, so yeah, the, the corruption out of that out of that office, and we talked about you know Florida overall. I mean, like you said, it's just so many victims. And so much corruption, man. And that's happened to be where that human rights organization that's working in the United States is out there investigating right now and interviewing mm-hmm. people who have been victims of this, uh, what's happening specifically in South Florida. And, and that specific cop, now, when I reported on the story the other day on Black Talk Radio News, they were saying, oh, he had never been in trouble, no complaints filed against him. But now I read another article today that said that the previous police department he was at, he had a whole bunch of complaints. 
Which is typical. Which is typical, right. man. They they get so many complaints to where they fall out of favor. And I guess, you know, the higher up say, look, we can't keep covering for you. Uh, we appreciate it if you just resign your position and what. And then they go somewhere else. And then the next thing you know, you know, in that new place, they didn't kill somebody. That's what happened in Tamir Rice case, man. I, I bet you it happens a whole lot, man. Yeah, the pattern of practice, practice shows that they just brutally kill these kids and then uh, justified immediately after. We saw it with our own eyes with uh, a brother out there in Ferguson. Um, man, his name is escaping me at this moment. Uh, Kame, Kwame. Help me out here. Kim G. Kamenji, Kamiji, Pal. Kamaji, Pal, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We saw how quickly they will kill yeah. you over the slightest thing. So here's this brother in the middle of the road, middle of the night, 3 a.m., and uh, the car is in, being investigated by this cop who stopped to see if uh, it was abandoned. Apparently, the brother comes out of the dark and he just shoots him, claiming he had a weapon. He probably watched him. He probably saw him having car trouble and pulled over. Wait until he got, you know, good by himself and sat and watched to see if anybody else saw him walk right over there and blew him away. How would we ever know? I don't give them no benefit and no damn doubt. I call it murder. You know, I mean, the same thing was going on for the last two, three hundred years or whatever, and nobody believed it. Now in the last, what, two or couple years, you have all this uh, video footage and cell phone footage and all this, and now all of a sudden everybody's an activist against police brutality. Now suddenly we got to have legislation and we're going to change. People have been coming up dead and in ditches and everything else for as long as it's been a country. Come on, man. I wouldn't put it past that guy to have. And also, I'll go a step further. I wouldn't put it past it possibly having been somebody else at the scene, another cop at the scene. I mean, you don't know what these people do. If they want to sit and look at a group of citizens that haven't committed any crimes and suspect that they're criminals, Shake them down, cuff them, beat them, throw them in the wagon, take them to the jail, arrest them. If they want to pull over, uh, like we saw in Ferguson, you got, I think it was like 12% of whites that have pulled over had contraband on them, yet they pulled over something like 2% of the white people that they stopped or whatever even got searched, and like 85% of black folks that got stopped, even though they only had 5% contraband. If racial profiling, Stop frisk, uh, stop pushing the frisk. All these policies across the, I mean, this is systemic across the nation to harass non-white people because you suspect they're criminals. Exactly. So when we see the video footage, though, of police steadily beating and killing and harassing and, and trying to lie and hide bodies and, and hide evidence and plant evidence and do all the stuff we see them doing on a regular, we saw the Tulsa video of a, a dude that ain't even a damn cop that, that admittedly paid to be able to carry a badge and a gun so he could go shoot a black man in his back and kill him. We see all of this. I don't believe no news report on, on what they say happened here. I honestly do not. I wouldn't be surprised if some redneck didn't see that brother get pulled, see that brother pull over on the side of the road, walk right over to him when nobody's looking and blow him away. I wouldn't be shocked in the least bit if a video show. I mean, what happened with Walter Scott? If a citizen hadn't taken a video of what happened, that damn cop would be sitting up there right now back on patrol. Well, let's let's get on to this first story because it fits right into this whole thing that we're talking about right now. 
And uh, in a way, it shows how they go about escaping personal responsibility for the things that have been going on. Like, oh, we didn't know. It's so bad. We need to do something about this thing that happened out of nowhere. Police leaders joined this call to cut prison rosters. And this is a story from the New York Times. I'm not going to read the whole thing, just some of it for you. It says that more than 130 police chiefs, prosecutors, and sheriffs, including some of the most prominent law enforcement officials in the country, are adding their clout to the movement. I didn't even know there was a movement to reduce the nation's incarceration rate. Because that thing seems to be pretty steady, you know. So where is this movement they're speaking of? Is it our movement? Okay, here you go. The group includes the police chiefs of the nation's largest cities, including William Bratton, New York, Charles Peck, Los Angeles, uh, Gary McCarthy, Chicago, some prosecutors, and even Manhattan District Attorney. Democrats and Republicans alike have pressed to temper the economic and social costs of mass incarceration which has been driven by harsher penalties approved by Congress and state legislatures from the 1970s to the 1990s, when crime rates were far higher than today. But the group Law Enforcement Leaders to Reduce Crime and Incarceration, that's their name, uh, (laughs) L-E-L-T-R-C-I-R, represents an abrupt public shift in philosophy for dozens of law enforcement officials who have sustained careers based upon tough-on-crime strategies. This is kind of missing of the missing piece of the puzzle, said uh, NMI M. Chetiar, director of the Justice Program at the Brennan Center for Justice, a nonpartisan public policy group affiliated with the New York University School of Law, which helped form the organization. The law enforcement Leaders now say reducing incarceration will improve public safety because people who need to treatment for drug and alcohol problems or mental health issues will be more likely to improve and reintegrate into society if they receive consistent care, something relatively few jails or prisons offer. And then it goes on, blah, 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 blah. We was wrong. We're doing it too much. There's 130 of us and we're on your side now. How do you feel about all of this? This is how I feel. I feel that is an acknowledgement of everything that we've been telling people, that other activists been telling people, um, that people before, you know, um, before I got on here, you know, Angela Davis, uh, other prominent activists have been telling them, man, that this is slavery. This is human trafficking, and that's really an admission. If you tell me that you got people in there that don't belong there, and it, and we're doing it way too much then that's just you you know you you're not using the same words that I'm using but you're saying the same thing you practicing slavery you practicing human trafficking man well go ahead exactly. well I mean I, I really can't add anything uh, intellectually more to what Scotty just said, he just said it all. All I got is some emotion. So maybe, maybe because I missed last week or maybe because this is such BS, I'm, all, I'm already in the red, man. I mean, I can't even believe they got the nerve to talk the way they talk and act like it's not two and a half million people in prison right now behind what they're saying. <laughs> I don't know. It's, Whatever. Now, uh, here's something related. I don't hear them saying this now. This this is the racism. I'm I'm thinking about writing an article about this, um, and I'll try to keep writing even though I'm off next week. But 
I read today that President Obama has announced this great big package, millions of dollars going to be devoted towards this, to to helping people who are addicted to all of that cheap heroin. Um, According to the Center for Disease Control, the number one victim of using this heroin or, or users of heroin are white women. Now I mentioned I mentioned I know on my own program how Hillary Clinton was up there in those northeastern uh predominantly white you know uh states and telling them how sorry she felt for them that their kids was hooked on heroin and and you know the the whole community is facing this crisis and and whatnot but what i never heard them talking about was locking anybody up i didn't see in the president's new initiative that he's launching to help all these heroin addicts i didn't see any money that was going to go towards any of these law enforcement departments to target heroin Users to step up their enforcement of the drug laws against these heroin users. I'm certainly not calling for that. I think they actually do need help. But where was all of this compassion for drug addicts and stuff doing the crack cocaine, you know, thinking? Hasn't this same president been fighting to keep people in prison despite, you know, him saying or the 6,000 that they release. It's probably damn 30, 40, 50, 100,000 that need to be let go. But, I, I mean, I'm just tripping on it, you know, and, and I bet any of these police officers in this story that's saying all these people that, you know, that um, are in jails and in prisons don't need to be there. And I bet they ain't sent out no kind of directive to their officers and saying, if you find some teenager or anyone with a dime bag of weed or something like don't even waste my time with you know something like what ken thompson told him up there in brooklyn stop bringing me all these little petty cases and on marijuana and, and all of that and you see they not saying nothing like that they sitting up here saying we acknowledging that it's too many people locked up but damn it you still arresting i bet your arrest numbers ain't with down so anyway i'm just tripping man well i think you're right that the efforts that we've collectively helped create here have brought them to this point where they need to react to these things and reconsider their positions. But I also think that at the same time, they're practicing white racist supremacy or the illusion of it and trying to maintain their positions of power without any accountability. So they're reducing uh, the narrative uh, of what is act- has actually occurred down to something that is more palatable for others of their ilk. So let me translate what they literally said to us. Okay. They said, we are still hunting people like cattle. Yep. Putting them in cages like property on a shelf, abusing, killing, and maiming them during the process, working them for free to make our goods and services and selling them on the open international market through prison stocks and jail bonds. And at the end of the day, not only do we tell them it's their fault, but they believe it and teach it to their children in the same way. But when you want someone to think that what you, you've done nothing criminal and you seek to avoid accountability, the best answer is one worded in a way that diminishes the responsibility for any person or group in particular. In this case, it's the 130 people who are responsible for a freaking genocide right there coming together. You're partially responsible for this. Now, you're the good right. guys. Right. And, and they have discretion. You know, we've heard like you know, we'll talk about Wisconsin later, but up there in Wisconsin with old Sheriff David Clark, 
how he was saying he would never enforce any gun control legislation against his people because he believed in the Second Amendment and, and the Oath Keepers and, and saying they won't do this and they won't do that. But at no time have I ever heard them say, we won't fight the drug war. It's an absolute failure. We've wasted trillions of dollars since the 1970s and drugs is still coming. In fact, we have our government agencies helping bring the drugs in and, and whatnot. So I ain't hearing none of that. So, um, you know, they can say what they say. I, I see it the same as what's going on in Congress right now with their reform legislation and that, you know, we, it's just too many people in prison. So to, to stop that, uh, we're going to not lock up people for 20 years for having a little piece of crack. We're just going to lock them up for five. You know, so that, I mean, hell, I, I'm not hearing anything that, that, um, of substance from these people. Yeah, it reminds me of the, uh, the judge, female judge that worked 17 years on the bench that we reported on here. And after she retired, she became an activist, uh, on, in the same vein as these 130 here trying to end the mass incarceration. Let, let, let me, I'm let not me. so forgiving about people like that. You're not selling us faulty brackets. You're not selling toys that fall apart and you have to make it pay, pay back for that. You're not selling drugs to, to us that cause us to have these side effects. You're killing people. You're enslaving them. You're selling them like property and abusing them. That's not something that you can just go, oops, let's do it differently. You know, it doesn't work that way. You know how I know before we go to break. Um, you know how I know that they listen. And when I say they, I'm talking about law enforcement and, and other people listening to the things we say. Because I heard Commissioner Bill Bratton giving a speech to uh, some new recruits, some cadets or whatnot. And he was talking about, you know, community policing. And he said that they see, and I'm quoting him, he said, they see they see us uh, as slave catchers coming out of the slave patrols. <laughs> Do y'all remember when he gave that yeah, speech? I remember that. I remember that. Now, who else is calling them slave patrollers but us? The abolitionists, yeah. Nobody I, else is using that sort of language to, to accurately describe uh, what their main job is, and that's slave catching. So I know they're listening, Max. In similar language, because that language reinforces what you already know. Instead of being blinded or uh, disillusioned or have your mind led in the wrong direction, by these words and phrases that diminish the power of what we're actually facing. Mm -hmm. When you say to somebody, well, mass incarceration is terrible, it doesn't sound that bad, does it, right? Just sound like you're locking up too many people. That's what it sounds like. That's what it sounds like. So it really diminishes the power of what's going on. But when you say, you know what, we got 24 million people went through cages built for human beings in one single year, that's a big difference. Yeah, it's a big difference between mass incarceration and then I tell you that they're practicing slavery. Well, we, let's take this break, and when we come back, we're going to get on our next story about Wisconsin again. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network. We'll be right back after these messages. Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com.
Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Hey, Brother Johanan, do you have access to the uh, story from Wisconsin? I need to link to it. I'm looking for it now. Okay, I got it. Are we going to play the video that's, that's included in it or... Uh, um, I can. Uh, let me just pull up the uh, page right quick that has the links on it, and I will play that for you if y'all want to introduce it uh, while I'm pulling this up. Sure. Um, I haven't actually seen the video, so this will be new to me. I read the story, but the mm-hmm. video is called Anger Into Action, and it's to Taylor uh, from Forward, Anger Into Action, regarding what's going on in Wisconsin. It says a, a documentary film that's going to take a closer look at the racial disparities that exist in Wisconsin's capital city. Uh, so this is just a trailer to the to the actual uh, documentary film that that is uh, supposedly coming out about it. But of course, we have continually discussed the issues going on in Wisconsin, everything from the school to prison pipeline, which this once again represents uh, Sheriff Clark's uh, uh, area of Milwaukee County. Uh, the highest rate per capita of black males incarcerated of anywhere in the country. I mean, just on and on, the, the unemployment rates, the, the death, uh, the killing rates, the extrajudicial murders, police killing unarmed innocent people, um, all of the disparities. I mean, we discussed it up and down the line from children to, you know, to I'm sure they're elderly. If somebody want to take some numbers of the elderly, I'm sure they're getting screwed over too. Um I guess before we, you know, listen to the to the audio, uh, this is from addictinginfo.org. It just says one third of all black children arrested in Madison, Wisconsin, um, which is a, just a ridiculous headline. Uh, Wisconsin's capital city arrested nearly one third of of the black children who lived there in the year 2013. One third, <clears throat> only about seven percent of Madison, Wisconsin residents are even black. An estimated 3,247 black children between the ages of 10 and 17 live in the capital city. In 2013, the last year for which citywide crime statistics are available, police arrested more than 1,000 black children in that age group. It's almost a third of the city's population of black children. A 2013 report from the American Civil Liberties Union found that more than 80% of the children who are sent to state juvenile detention centers from Madison's Dane County are black youth. Many black children are arrested for normal childhood behavior, yet charged with crimes like disorderly conduct. According to Amrin.com, a black child is 14 times more likely to be arrested for disorderly conduct in Madison than a white child. Uh, says the arrest rate for black adults living in Madison is 10.9 times higher than the arrest rate for white citizens, while only a small fraction of the population is even African-American. Black citizens account for 45% of all arrests made in the city. And thanks to Max Parthas for the Ferguson and American series, because we have uh, discussed this, uh, this type of information in every state in America up to the, the letter N so far where Nevada will be featured next week. So every state, we haven't even had one that even came close to being different than the rest. Not even one state that we discussed from A through N that even came close to giving a hint of being less disparity than any of the other states. They are all equally complicit in this same kind of numbers. It, so. it seems like Wisconsin, though, is trying to compete with Louisiana for the most locked up. It does. It's Louisiana of the north. Yeah, we did an in-depth on uh, Wisconsin already. Uh, 
Wisconsin is America because of what was being said by Sheriff David Clark with the narrative mm-hmm. he was putting out about how it was all our fault. We're just criminals. So we went and showed what David Clark is involved in in Wisconsin, and it's just out, outrageous. So this, don't tell me we need more black sheriffs like David Clark. Right, right, and a Democrat, too. Add that to it. He's campaigned his entire career. He's, he's campaigned and run on the Democrat ticket. Yeah, there's places in Wisconsin where one or more out of two young black men are in prison serving time before they're 30 years old. So you're talking about more than 50%. And this is the thing that sets the type of averages we see. We don't realize the extremes that are involved at the higher ends of these averages where, you know, there's two of you, you and your partner, one of y'all is probably going to go to prison. It's just a fact of life. And let's not forget that uh, the what's the Wisconsin governor name? He was he just dropped out of the uh, race for the GOP uh, nominee. Scott Walker. Yeah, uh, is it Scott Walker? Yeah, Scott Walker. Um, as a legislature in in um, a legislator in Wisconsin, even even then he was lobbying in the pockets of of the lobbyists, of private prison yeah. lobbyists. And, um, you know, worked to pass laws as his legislature and now he's governor and, uh, um, you know, there, I mean, there's just, uh, all you got to do is follow the money, man. That's all you got to do. Follow the money. And I'm reading this going back to what I was saying earlier about President Obama's compassionate, uh, policy where all this money is going to be set aside to help all these, these nonviolent heroin users. Uh, in Wisconsin, it says when it comes to drug arrest, things get even worse, way worse. Black citizens living in Madison are 97 times more likely to be arrested on drug charges than white citizens. That's in spite of the fact that we know more white people use drugs than black people. Right. So, I tell you, man. That is criminalizing a population of people. You, you're targeting them, man. You're targeting them for slavery. Mm-hmm. Sending them right into... And, you know, uh, Wisconsin is one of those big budget Department of Justice budget, uh, Department of Corrections budgets Right, near three billion dollars. Wow, three billion dollars. Yeah, here in South Carolina, we got a half a billion, and I think that that's too much. That's just way overboard to have a half a billion. Well, like we was got um, three billion. Uh, Brother Davis was on Tando Radio Show, and one of the things that he was saying was like, if your Department of Corrections budget is larger than your education budget then you know what what the problem is. You know what right. the problem is. And that's probably the case in, in almost every state is that the Department yep. of Corrections budget is larger than the uh, Department of Education. And and so before before we play this um play this uh this article man I mean excuse me, play this um forward anger into action is the name of this this documentary um I, I I don't know, man. I don't know what to tell people in Wisconsin. I know one of our listeners at least lives in Wisconsin. And he's trying to get out. And that's what I would recommend, that if you black and you living in Wisconsin, um, you need to get out. I know ain't nowhere safe in the United States. Uh, definitely don't go to Louisiana. Uh, but um, Wisconsin is pretty damn bad, man, if not the worst. Let okay. me tell you how bad it is, just really quickly. 
in a state that is nearly 90% white and 6.5% black, blacks are arrested at 10 to 1 statewide. Jesus. Mm-mm-mm. But I tell you what, you know, they ain't setting aside no funds to target all of them. I mean, I, I, I sometimes I feel like a broken record on this program, and I know we got to do it. We got to keep repeating the information and repeating the information. But I'm just wondering, man, when are the people, the masses going to get it? I don't think the masses even get this kind of information. I'm not sure, man. But I'm telling you, we live in a, a damn war zone, man. It's hell out here. Well, speaking of this, it's not getting it. Brother Johanan, I'm going to need you to help me with the posting and uh, pulling up the stories, maybe even reading them, because my computer is okay. just nuts today. I'm unable to access <clears throat> okay. anything all of a sudden. What What are you Did using for your browser? Did you link on the uh, new abolitionist page yet? Uh, no, I haven't gotten that on okay. yet. All right. I'll, put new, I'll put the police leaders... I'll put the police leaders link up and then put this one up next uh, for the, the Wisconsin story. Um... To add to that, I mean, what you all are saying, though, with uh, these incredibly horrible numbers, look, I'm a person of faith. So before I even say this, I don't want nobody to think I'm trying to bash, you know, faith or whatever. I I have a faith of my own. I was raised into. But as if we're going to call ourselves trying to be people that believe in an all-knowing God, a God of wisdom and intelligence, I mean, the infinite wisdom of God. You can't walk around here and be no damn fool and act like you really doing something. Black people that live in that kind of a situation, really in this country, period, because we didn't talk about every state in the union is equally worthless, but in this kind of situation where it's 6% of you and 90-plus percent of them, but you are 10 times more incarcerated than they are. When your children are one-third of your children, three little boys playing together, one of them going to jail today. Two friends walking down the street together, one of y'all going to jail today. I mean, when these are the kind of numbers you're dealing with, I'm trying to figure out why are you steady running the church on Sunday, hooping and hollering and putting money in the plate and acting like you're doing something that's going to change anything. I'm trying to figure out why people are steadily praying about whatever they're praying about and haven't changed their prayers or changed their thoughts or changed their vision, changed something to see that, like Scotty said, this is a war zone. You can't be in no damn war zone on your knees with your head in the sand acting like something's going to change. You got to go back to war or give a surrender, I guess, if that's what your plan is. So is that what's going on with these people that and not just like Christian faith, but I mean, you know, the, the Muslim faiths and all these other, the tantrics and the folks that are trying to follow Buddha. And I know people, that, black folks especially, are very spiritual people. And we're in all sorts of religions. We got our heads up, down in the ground and our butts in the air, all in every kind of language and, and uh, book and studies and practices or whatever, looking for some kind of answer. Other than facing these murderers in the right to their eye, these slave catchers right to their eye, and calling this situation what it is, I, I, I don't know. I can't be just mad at at the enemy for what the enemy does. I gotta have some anger and dis- disappointment in us for not even recognizing when we getting our ass kicked. Or to recognize you're getting your ass kicked and don't want to fight back. Don't want to do nothing to oh stop it. Goodness. How how can you go to... I mean, I, know, I don't want to be a broken record. I'm going to hush. 
But seriously, how how we city? You know we in there every Sunday. You know that's where we at. How are we in there and praising and worshiping and jumping around and happy and excited like this? And everybody in that congregation is affected by this. If the numbers are the way they are, one in three little children, fifty percent of the of the of the males. That's every church in this in those cities in the metropolitan areas in that state where black folks is living. This little small six percent. Yeah. All of those people are adversely affected by what's going on. Yeah, you're right when that's, you look at it that they way. They got to be. Yeah. The whole pew is full of people. This didn't lost somebody to this. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. You, you, um, I'm sorry, y'all. Man. No, no need to apologize, man. We need you to bring that fire. Maybe you'll light a fire on somebody's ass. I I don't know, but I well, just know. I try to. Mm. Yeah. Sound positive, and I see the change happening, and I see the groups of people out there fighting against all odds. Us being a few of them, so I, I focus on them and keeping supporting mm-hmm. them. And I know that we're infiltrating all of those systems that people are involved in. Like that judge we spoke of earlier, who said, "No, I'm not going to let twelve white guys or girls judge this one black man." No, we got to have some black people in here. So people are taking stands in the face of adversity at all levels. And I have to keep looking at that for positive reasons. By all means, man. By all means. I support them. I got love for them. We rah rah cheer for them. I mean, I'm with you on that. But I got to call out these ones just trying yes, to sit back and but just I think be quiet. That's towards leadership, too, because they're being led by false prophets. And like, that's who I mean. Right. That's, that's who I mean. That's who I mean to say who I mean and the so called leadership. You know, you ain't leading nothing. I mean, if you the leader and you leading us into slavery like this, I'm like, it's time to impeach you. It's time to do something and get right. rid of you. It's time to come up with a new plan or whatnot. But I'm starting to get real cynical. Um, it looks like, you know, that they're doing everything they can to put uh, the international war criminal Hillary Clinton into the CEO position of America. And we know what her history is in terms of 21st century slavery and human trafficking. So I'm starting to get cynical again. And, you know, I, I go through these stages of where, you know, I want to think that my vote matters. Uh, you know, I'm always going to vote and I want to think this has happened or I want to think that, oh, this is the year just get this person in there and we get the other people in there then we can get some legislation pushed but man the games that I'm seeing seeing play over and over and over in terms of every election I'm like man it, it, I mean maybe I just need to go straight up underground and, and find me a bunch of Nat Turners and, and we'll take it from there hmm. uh, it, it, it can't uh, be no worse than it is it can't be there's people out there fighting in that way too everywhere right. you can imagine just, just how the abolitionists run you know abolitionists was not a, always a good thing to be Like we're proud to be abolitionists but we faced much of the same adversities abolitionists faced in the 1800s you know uh, one of the curses that they would put on you uh, among the uh, southern and northern communities when you were fighting for any kind of rights was oh you must be an abolitionist you're a damn ass. And, and, and then I'm thinking too, how dare David Clark take his ass on TV, right? Remember, he was on TV talking about ain't no black men in the black community in Wisconsin, wherever he, where Milwaukee County or whatever, and blasting on the NAACP. You know, I was watching uh, WordNet 
it's a TV uh, cable channel, it's a religious channel, and I just happened to be scrolling through, and Jesse Jackson, the Rainbow uh, Coalition Network, they got like a little show that come on um, every weekend, I think, I'm not sure when it come on, but I was watching it Sunday, and it was this lady, and they didn't even put her name up, I don't know what her name was, but she was down there in South Carolina, I believe they were in some church in South Carolina, and she was talking to a pretty diverse audience, audience but she said something that made so much sense but she said that you want to know why the black community is so dysfunctional she said when you take out a huge number of whether it's the men or the women or the children you take them out you put them in prison and then when they get out of prison you're gonna have dysfunction that's why there's so much dysfunction in in certain communities it ain't cause the people bad or or inherently evil or anything like that is that most of them are felons and they've been in prison and they've been targeted and now relegated to second class citizenship if if there is such a thing and and you know just so and, and they're still being targeted and set up to, for to go right back on the plantation so what she said made so much sense that you know like I was hearing somebody talking about the shootings in Chicago and saying high crime areas I say I never say high crime areas it's high poverty areas okay uh, uh, it's the poverty that creates the crime it's the lack of resources and access to resources that creates the crime it's the lack of access to good paying jobs the lack of access to a real education the lack of access to public services that's what creates crime these aren't hard crime areas these are high poverty areas well that's why they had that report come out too recently that showed how some of these poverty areas are actually multi-million dollar uh, blocks where so many people are being incarcerated that is generating millions yearly for the uh, Department of Corrections. You mean snatching people off those blocks? Yeah, like generationally, like father Damn. and son and son after the that. The favorite fishing hole, like your favorite fishing hole, you know? Exactly. Like that. And that leads to eventually gentrification, and it's a genocide because you're killing off the people there, you're incarcerating them, some of them are dying in prisons, uh, they're not making any more babies because you're separating the male from the female now, you know, so they're not being able to have any more offspring. And eventually you just don't see them anymore. That's why last year I walked from 125th in Harlem to 110th and didn't see but one black person. Yeah. In Harlem. And in Wisconsin, they're reporting 75% of black children live in poverty. So, you know, that's Scott Walker's state for you. Anyway, um, let's play this this clip, and then uh, we could run into a break, and um, then uh, discuss our next story. Um, the name of this, um, let me see if I get more information. A new documentary film, Forward: Anger into Action, will take a closer look at the racial disparities that exist in Wisconsin's capital city. Um, this is uh, Jamie Kwan's Indiegogo. So I guess this is um, this guy um, is is still fundraising for this documentary. Is from what I'm reading. So you want me to go into that? Uh sure. It's just enough time before the break. We haven't heard it. Let's listen to it together. Okay. The hard truth is that African Americans 
fare worse than whites on virtually all the disparities that we found in many of the most fundamental status indicators, Race to Equity Report 2013. and wish you didn't push the send button. I'm Reverend Dr. Alex G. As of late, there's been a lot of discussion about the racial disparity between African-American and white students in this community. I've become very concerned. I've written a series of articles. I've held a series of community meetings because I really want this community to wrestle with this issue properly so that we can make this community better for everyone. Well, I think the reaction when the actual physical report came out was one of great surprise um, for the broader public. The notion that African Americans were doing worse here on average than they were in other parts of the United States was a totally different sort of measurement or view of the circumstances. It was such a hard thing because like I said, I always wanted to be read as different because I knew from a young age that me just being me was something negative. Do you still believe there's really no power in words? I only listen to the beat, but yet you can recite it. They permeate your eardrums, though they're not invited. We have not had a collective we or us at the table. We've got some of us, but not a collective we or us at the table. So we're not always at the decision table, not the way that we are now and not the way that we're going to be. Decisions were made for us, about us, but not with us. If you're seeking true equity, it means that you need to change who are sitting around the table. And that means um, that you likely have to step back um, to bring other people in. Recently, I pulled together a coalition of African-American community leaders to address some of the issues of racial disparity that we're facing here in Madison. We need to look at the economic policies, uh, looking at uh, what are some of the reasons folks aren't being hired, why is the unemployment rate high, why aren't African-Americans graduating on time, if you can't work, if you can't find a job, I don't care if it's entry level or if it's uh, at the executive level, if African Americans can't find qualifying, well-paying jobs, it will affect the next generation. It will affect uh, their household income. So if we can't look at the economic policies, uh, Madison will change. Even just alone, you still have so much power with your voice. Use it. Go to school. Learn. Learn about the system that has been putting this down because that is the only way that we are going to beat this. Madison, who is a predominantly white community, have um, their majority students be students of color. And, but we're still operating in this old white framework 
of behavior and of curriculum. We're not talking about one person, right? We're not talking about one white teacher or one white principal. You know, we're talking about a white framework of, of set of standards and, 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 and beliefs and judgments and stereotypes. The Madison myth is that everyone's on an even playing field. There's no discrimination. We don't see difference. We don't value. Um, one group over another, and we all get along, and everyone, everyone has a place in society. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, black talk. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Amazing story there listening to that. Uh, one last them. thing. One last thing. Ain't Paul Ryan also from Wisconsin? Um, maybe. I think he is. I think he is. There's a lot of poverty going <laughs> on up there. And uh, Paul Ryan, you know, he, he, that's his bag right there. He wants yeah, to cut off. It says right here. It's uh, Southern, Was- Southern Wisconsin, First District, U.S. Congressman Paul Ryan. Yep. Thought so. Mm-hmm. Things start making sense when you hear about this. Yeah, when you listen to his rhetoric, when you listen to the rhetoric of Scott Walker, when you listen to the rhetoric of David Clark, I mean, it, it, hey, there's the dots right there. All you got to do is connect them. I hear that uh, one in 86 people is in prison in California, but in Wisconsin, it's one in 39. Uh, since, uh, I think it was 1990, yeah, 1990, uh, 26,000 black men have been sent to prison in Wisconsin, just in Wisconsin alone. And now they're talking about one in three of your children, and they got a, almost a $3 billion budget for the Department of Justice. And... Uh, it's a job creator for them. As a matter of fact, I think, look up here, it says the department total staff is 11,000 people. See, that's how they do. That's slavery, man. Ain't that how they gave the poor whites jobs? 11,000 yep. people out there doing this for 22,000 and a half incarcerated people. I probably live. 70,000. I probably, oh man, what's that? Uh, just a second, guys. We was hearing a lot of noise. Um, I probably live in one of the few small towns in around America that even that actually has a manufacturing plant, man. They don't make nothing in, in the USA no more except for making jobs by locking other people up, putting them into slavery where they become a commodity, whether they're working or not, okay? they People are making money off of them, and so... I tell you, man, Wisconsin, um, I couldn't live there, man. And, and the listener that had called into my show said he was trying to get out of Wisconsin. I see why. Well, there's many ways that people can be involved with modern-day slavery and human trafficking, particularly in the private sector with contracts associated with the government. One of those ways is through private probation companies. 
private probation companies are just as bad as the prisons. They're just another arm of it. They're extorting the people after they get out, literally extorting them. And there's one that we want to read about today out of Alabama that is leaving Alabama because of ground uh, grassroots activists uh, exposing what they were all about. It's the Judicial Correction Services Incorporated, a company that was once uh, criticized by a judge as helping Harpersville run a debtor's prison and judicially sanctioned extortion racket, is pulling up stakes in Alabama after dozens of towns canceled contracts with the company around the state. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, they issued a brief statement saying that they were ceasing their operations in Alabama. The SPLC in June has sent letters to officials in 106 towns and cities around Alabama urging them to end their contracts with JCS. The SPLC's letters had warned the municipalities that their contracts with JCS were illegal and that tactics used by JCS to collect fines can amount to extortion. As of Monday, 80 cities cut uh, cancel contracts with JCS and other private probation companies in the state, according to the group SPLC. So JCS used coercion and threats of jail of people who did not pay their fines and a $40 a month fee to them in municipal court, Brooks said. The contract between the cities and the JCS amounted to a two-tier system of justice. Uh, those who could afford to pay walked away. But those who couldn't often had to pay much more because they would get put on a probation system and the monthly payment fees to JCS. When a person couldn't pay many times, they were threatened by JCS employees that they would put them in jail. You can't jail someone just because they are poor, Brooke said. So this is what was going on in Alabama with for-profit pro, for probation companies. And like Wisconsin, they have a large population of probationers. In uh, Wisconsin, I was just looking at our Wisconsin is America. They have 67,000 probationers and parolees. That's a lot of money at $40 per person per month. Yeah, it's a lot of money, man. And I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but I mean, hell, they don't make uh, widgets and stuff like that, you know, because they outsource those to China. And when they bring them back, they bring them back to the prisons. And so that's where all the jobs at, man, is in the prisons or connected to 21st century slavery and human trafficking. I'm willing to bet that the it, that the uh industry whether we're talking about the private prisons whether we're talking about state controlled correctional departments or the federal i i'm willing to bet you that they that that industry probably employs more people than any other industry on in this country and it ain't even close you're probably right i we know i'm right this, we talked about this some months back on a the Abolitionist Daily, where uh, I think it was the Brennan Center, had a report where they named uh, 14 or 15 states that were all uh, using debtors' prison practices. And this uh, JCS was prevalent in many of them. Uh, and, and like we talked about with Georgia and uh, the contempt of court being reason to put a person in slavery. I mean, it's, it's like these states have so many really sick provisions, you know, even though the Constitution says and the Supreme Court has ruled against this kind of practice, it's still, you know, very prevalent. Uh, this Supreme Court rulings from the 70s and 80s that 
you know, upheld that the 14th Amendment should be stopping courts from affecting a person's probation or, or sending them into jail for failure to pay a fine, um, and especially without even considering whether or not, you know, the person has the ability to pay the fine or if the state or the, the, the you know, judicial system, you know, in place there locally has any other kind of alternative to imprisonment. So like we talked about with Ferguson last year, where we had the minutes from the uh, city council meeting that the Department of Justice report on Ferguson put out, which not one racist bastard that takes that report and says, well, it says in the Ferguson report, the DOJ even said that, that uh, Darren Wilson was justified in shooting him. That's all these people got to say. They had, none of them read the real report. None of them actually read and read what the report said. They have the minutes, like the actual transcripts from the city council meeting that say that city council members said in, in the meeting that they need to have an alternative to putting people in jail over the fines that they were getting and couldn't pay because it was building up more and more debt and they were throwing people in jail. They were losing their jobs, losing their homes, losing their families. The debt was continuing to rack up. They were spending more and more time in jail, and there was nothing, no way out. And the people had asked for some other kind of alternative, and they gave them information about other cities that had community alternatives to either work off the debt or do some kind of community service, whatever. And the city council, the uh, city manager, sat up there and told them that wasn't acceptable. They wouldn't guarantee that. And then, just like we reported, he turned to the police chief, uh, Chief Jackson, and told him, you need to get your people ramping up these funds and they went from a million dollars in 2010 to 3.2 million dollars that they raised off a fine by the time michael brown was killed in 2014 this is the reality of the truth and you're talking about a poor population putting together two million dollars in excess from nowhere just like literally scraping the community so this county can make an extra two million taking it from people who didn't have it to begin with and that's just Ferguson. That's just Ferguson. These little cities are all up and down the highway. They're like 10 or 12 little cities that ain't even cities. All they got is two cops. It's like the Dukes of Hazard. All they got is two cops in a in a, a courthouse they share with three other cities. And got black folks lined up out the door and down the street for all of them, for the same raping. So you get raped in Ferguson and in five cities around, and the same thing going on in Alabama. Georgia, Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio, I mean, you name it, and it's happening all over the country. I had a lady at my job tell me just a couple of days ago, this was a white woman, like a 55, 60-year-old white lady, to just start talking to me about her son being a libertarian and, you know, whatever he does, this and that, whatever. But then she started talking about her brother, who's been in and out of jail with a drug problem over the years. And out here in this same area where, you know, where I live, in this Johnson County out in Kansas, which is one of the most traditionally one of the most wealthy counties in the country. And she started talking about how she was trying to help her brother get out of jail and stay out of jail because of his drug habit he'd had for years. She said when she looked at his actual, uh, like his situation and how they were going to pay all this stuff down, she named off like eight of the cities that are all surrounding here. And, and it, in my mind, I instantly saw that same story from Ferguson just how it affects the black folks there, how they talk about like the eight or nine little cities around there. She named off all these cities around here that her brother, a 45, 50-year-old white man, has got a drug problem, so they're taking advantage of him like he's poor or just like he's non-white. 
And he's been getting victimized in the exact same way through all of these cities all around town. He got eight or nine different courts that he in trouble with and been in and out of jail the same way. It's a system that they're using against everybody. Right. It's a model that's now being extended globally. Yeah. It's a model of slavery. I mean, it's what it is, really. You know, so many have warned us that if we left anything of slavery behind, it will reconstitute itself. It's an ancient evil. Right. It doesn't care who's alive at the time. Somebody's going to want to exploit it. And if they get the opportunity because you left some remnant behind, like we did with the 13th Amendment, then it will come back. And it did come back on a scale that has never been seen before human history. And in, in a way, that really blows the mind when you think that we are participating in it, seeing it every day, uh, and approving of it. Like, it ain't no thing. <laughs> like, right. well, your kid's gone, no big deal. It's just part of life. Well, that leads into our next story, really, again, uh, which I think Scotty's going to do, where Kentucky is hearing us. Our message is coming out. Mm-hmm. The message from CAPS is coming out. The message from everybody who's saying we need to take this language out of our constitutions. It doesn't belong in there and it's got no business in there. Well, that's happening in Kentucky. Well, it's kind of tricky, though. Their reasoning for wanting to remove it has nothing to do with our reasoning. Um, so it's kind of <laughs> tricky. So um, let me just read this from the CourierJournal.com, Courier-Journal.com. Uh, of course, we link to the article. Or you can also find it on our Facebook page, New Abolitionist Radio. Written more than a century ago, a little-known provision in the Kentucky Constitution that still allows for slavery as a form of punishment is drawing calls for change in next year's General Assembly. Section 25 of the Constitution was ratified in 1891, stating that slavery and involuntary servitude in this state are forbidden, except as a punishment for a crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted. While the overall section reiterates abolition on a state level, critics argue that the exception for criminals only serves today as an archaic and ingrained nod to a brutal institution. Continuing to excuse slavery in the state's founding document for any reason insults the ancestors of slaves and suggests that it remains acceptable, they say. It's inapplicable in its outdated language, said John Johnson, executive director of the Kentucky Commission on Human Rights. The horrors of slavery and what it means, we ought not have that in our public constitution. Well, guess what? You ought not be practicing slavery and human trafficking in 2015. Come on now. Now, you know what I'm saying? They're trying to say that, you know, it's insulting to the ancestors of enslaved Africans. It should be insulting to anyone with a 12th grade reading comprehension level that you want to suggest (laughs) that this section actually abolishes slavery. When in fact it does not. If it say except as a punishment for crime, that means you never abolish slavery. So let's stop playing these games. Uh, the Human Rights Commission is urging lawmakers to pass legislation next year to amend the wording. If adopted by a three-fifths majority in both the House and Senate, voters would still have to approve the changes in the 2016 general election. Senator Gerald O'Neill, 
a Democrat out of Louisville, said he plans to file a bill on the matter, but hasn't spoken in depth with other lawmakers and doesn't know if the measure would win support. Well, if you're not going to do the legwork, then what's the point of just introducing a bill that is doomed to fail? If you're not going to do the legwork and talk to these people and, and fill out where they are and, well, you know, uh, uh, but I, I, I imagine, though, any, I, I imagine that there will be some resistance. In fact, I will predict that there will be some resistance because these lawmakers, some of them know exactly what it means. And that means then in Kentucky, if you pass that, uh, uh, if you actually abolish slavery, then you open up yourself to lawsuits for the slavery and human trafficking that you are sanctioning as a state. All right. So, and, and I don't know if Kentucky has private prisons or not, uh, but I know that they putting them prisoners to work, whether they in a state prison or a private prison and they ain't getting paid, you know, whatever it is, they would have gotten paid if they wasn't in, in prison. So, you know, we have to be careful of this kind of stuff. It says even and this is uh senate the uh senator speaking senator gerald neal a democrat out of louisville he said even if it is one of those things that has difficulty passing these kind of issues need to be put on the table but you need to be putting them on the table with the intent of getting it passed you know neil says he doubts that changing the language would have much practical effect still he said i think it's important for us to be intentional about not only what has happened in the past but exactly where we are going and the past informs us well you know again when they say except for punishment for crime and you know they targeting black people you know with the with the what they call them the black codes and jim crow and all of that kind of stuff man come on man are these people really you know that ignorant or are they you know just playing games or maybe he's trying to be codified and do it under the table and he's not going to say that we're really practicing slavery and we need to abolish slavery and remove this exception clause from the constitution so maybe he's saying like you know what um this is in the past and we don't practice slavery no more and this exception clause it doesn't make much sense if you actually read it and then for you to claim that you've abolished slavery so let's just go ahead and do that you know just for grammatical purposes and whatnot and then once it gets passed then you know uh then once it gets passed then maybe you know other people will be able to file lawsuits to actually um um uh, charge some of these people for practicing slavery or, or whatnot. I don't know. What What do you guys think? I think that uh, like many others who have proposed the same thing, they're doing it, as you said, for different reasons than we are. They see that this is wrong. Why is this here? Hmm. Must be an oversight. At no point in their uh, mind does it click that, well, maybe they are actually practicing slavery and this is right here, the legal allowance for that. Yeah, the mass connect. The, yeah, this ain't mass incarceration. This is the root of mass incarceration. It's slavery. Right. So, you know, when you start talking about state property and you look at that exception clause, it should click. And if it doesn't, you need some education. But in the meantime, if they get it off of the Constitution, that's a win. But you pointed out something that eerily reminded me of Bernie Sanders, where you're saying, what are you doing? 
putting in legislation that you know is going to fail just so you can look good about it. And that's kind of what I've been feeling from the Sanders camp lately who are not pushing the justice is not exactly him not taking the opportunity to use a presidential debate to plug that bill. They're just throwing it out there and it's only so they can appease people. Well, I'm harder to appease than that. That's for sure. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. But um, I, 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 uh, I share your suspicions. And because um, how do you not mention that during a presidential debate? In fact, it never even came up. It's the last time you mentioned it anywhere. When would you have you heard justice is not for sale at come out of Bernie Sanders' mouth? Since I haven't since that press conference with um um uh, what's the boy name? Uh, Keith Ellison, not right. boy. So I was, shouldn't have said that. The senator. Um, um, <laughs> I, that, I didn't mean to call the man a boy or anything. I heard like you. But um, yes, uh, Senator Ellison. Uh, I haven't heard it heard it mentioned either. Um, brother max and he's done plenty of interviews and like you said man um that should be the centerpiece of his uh, of his campaign right it should be the it's the only thing that sets him apart from any of the other old wise white guys that have come up and tried to run for president all the way back to beyond uh ron perot or ross perot whoever it was we get these guys one after the other and everybody goes yes it's the revolution you ain't no revolution but you're the first one to introduce legislation in the history of this country since 1862 that would end selling people. Right, right. Um, this also goes on to say um, uh, this uh, person, What is this the same person? Hold up. Uh, Neil says he doubts that changing the language will have much practical effect. Well, you know, we could change his mind on that. But anyway, Johnson says that concerns arose following the racially motivated murder of nine people in Charleston, South Carolina, and that most people probably aren't even aware of the exception for criminals. Johnson said he hopes it's just an oversight. Well, Brother Johnson, we've been doing our best to tell people uh, not only about your state's uh, exception clause, but the uh, USA Inc.'s uh, exception clause in the 13th Amendment. Um, not to remove it implies that you tend to support it, he said. I just can't see any reason why people would think it wise to leave it in. Uh, I know when uh, Venezuela at the U- UN UPR, uh, UPRI uh, peer review process said that y'all practicing slavery y'all need to repeal the 13th amendment United States delegation didn't even offer a reply you know we'll take it under advisement that's about the only thing that was stated uh, but uh, we're not the only ones that know this other countries other world leaders other people they know they know even if you don't hear them talking about it publicly they um, know it's happening to them yeah, like Brazil now going private prisons. Yeah, historical mindset. The wording in Section 25 dates back centuries, but much of the reasoning behind the exemption for criminals appears lost to history. Legal scholars say the state's wording mirrors the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which states that neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for a crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Kurtz Metzmeyer 
an associate law librarian and professor of law at the University of Louisville said the U.S. Constitution in turn borrows language from the Northwest Ordinance of 1787, which set the stage for establishing states in the Great Lakes region. The ordinance has a similar clause pertaining to criminals. My suspicion is that as is that second clause is just a lawyer's attempt to make sure that what was meant to be a slavery clause was not used by other lawyers to deal with issues with prisoners. Now, I don't know what the hell he's talking about there, but my suspicion is is that they never wanted to give up on the institution of slavery because it's one of the four cornerstones or the four main pillars of the U.S. economy. And that was a deal between Lincoln and the South and in the North and the South that, look, too many white boys is dying and, you know, we shouldn't be killing each other over these niggas. So this is what we going to do, fellas. Now, I know all these people done lost their lives already and we said that we was going to end slavery, but it's if, if you come to the table, if you agree to a to a uh, ceasefire and, and ending this war, we're going to put language in this amendment that is going to allow you to, pra- to keep practicing slavery. But the only thing is you got to arrest them. You got to put them in a, 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 a you got to bring them to court and get a conviction for whatever you rested them on. We don't care. Just make some shit up. I'm sorry. And um, yeah. And then once you get once you convict them, you can put them in prison and then you can lease them out to all these corporations and plantations that they just got set free from. So, yeah, I, I know what the intent was. That's my suspicion. And, and I wouldn't even call it a suspicion. I would call it a damn fact. Right, because that's what it is. It's the facts. The I mean, you just broke it down to the to the elements of the facts. So uh, it really much to add to that. If you're looking at it in like a spiritual way, right? Let's say slavery is this great evil, right? And in the 1800s, we had this huge battle, bloody battle, a uh, civil war that focused around ending that slavery, and then we managed to put this legislation together which was like this magical room to protect the oh. slavery and it was the 13th amendment if that is a magical room it was built with a crack in it the exception clause so oh. it broke through and came out now check out this guy man the, the human rights guy alright Mr. Johnson uh, let me find Mr. Johnson name cause we might need to uh, get in touch with Mr. Johnson and, and bring him on the program. I think he's a black man, too, or African-American. John yeah, John Johnson, the executive director of the K- Kentucky Commission on Human Rights. Check this out. This this is in the last paragraph. If the wording no longer has any effect, that's just more impetus to remove it, argues Johnson from the Human Rights Commission. He said any amendment could still be worded to accommodate prison work. And he draws a clear distinction between the two terms. So, dude, what are you talking about? What are you talking he about? Said, he said, I don't know what slavery means to you, but to me it means lynching and castrating and branding and beating people. Well, See, well, that shows you right there he knows exactly what's going on. And that was a yeah. proof. I mean, what the hell, man? I mean, why would you put in an except? Why would you work to or say you want a a slavery exception clause removed from the Constitution, but you want to allow an amendment 
to actually allow you to keep putting these prisoners to work I'm sure you're not going to pay them whatever the prevailing wage is for if you got them doing uh, uh, call center work you're going to pay them the, the 30000 a year to do that call center work or else if you're just paying them pennies on the dollar well hell that's where we got the term slave wages from alright yep. that, that's where slave wages come from Actual. that's a cold line man yeah. That's, a, that's a cold line, man. I'll just keep reading it. That's a cold line. He just threw that in at the end of the story, too. Like, damn, yeah. we fighting against some evil-ass people. Even when he went, that's why I said we had to be careful. Even though on the surface you would think that they would be natural allies, but they just ain't connected to dots yet. But then we get to the end. Here this dude is saying, but we got to make sure we can still put them prisoners to work. So we can accommodate that. We can accommodate. Well, dude, you might well leave it as is then. See, I, yeah, we need to invite him on uh, this program and see if we can deprogram him or give him an education because he doesn't seem it's to know. He needs to be exposed because it ain't no deprogramming somebody that goes up and above and beyond to say, on one in one word say prison uh, prison work, and then the next sentence say I don't know slavery. He didn't say inhumanity. He didn't say terrorization of of non-white people. He didn't say genocide. He didn't say lynching. He said I don't know what slavery means to you, but to me it means lynching and castrating and branding and beating people. What the hell does he think was going on for 400 years? See, that's the thing where there's a definition for a word, there's a meaning for a word, there is a history for the word, and some hat comes out with what they think and feel. <laughs> you know, it's, I, I heard this conversation with the flag coming down about, you know, what we think the flag means and what we feel like. The, it doesn't matter what you think and feel. There's truth here. It's facts. It's well right. documented. So if you think slavery is just that little limited thing that you said, which was brutal, of course, but it's the only thing you see as slavery, then apparently you don't know what the hell slavery is. Look, this is a definition, one definition of, of, of slavery. Today, chattel slavery is unlawful in all countries. That's a damn lie. I got to correct that. Uh, but a person may still be described as a slave if he or she is forced to work for another person without any ability on their part to unilaterally terminate the arrangement. Sound like uh, that's what's going on in these prisons today, ain't it? They can't voluntarily terminate the arrangement. They, I mean, and that's why they have work stoppages. They go actually go on strike. And then what happens to them? Well, the ringleaders are identified, and then they're thrown in the hole and tortured. Well, we know what's going on in Kentucky because we did Kentucky's Ferguson, and we know that in Kentucky... For every 561 white people in jails and prison, there are 2,793 blacks. I and mean, this is in a state that has an 8.2% black population and an 89% white population. And I'm with Johanan, you know, like, oh, oh, so they ain't lynching people in, in jails and prisons no more? Um, I think so. I think so. I think we've reported on. And, and when, we say, you know, when we say lynching, it ain't got to be a rope around your neck swinging Not, from yeah, a tree. All right, it could be it could be put into a shower stall and boiled to damn death. Okay, 
He could be that. Or prisoners or, to kill you with knives while you stand up in a guard's tower opening the door to let them get to you. Or it could be you being in your cell and they gas you so badly with these chemical uh, agents that it leaves your the uh, 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 the what would they call it? the silhouette of your body on the wall. Look what happened to the young lady who was beaten while she was shackled, only five feet tall, shackled, chained to a chair, hand and foot, and then tased and beaten by what was it, half a dozen grown ass men? Yeah, or, or the brother that those people down there in Georgia just found the sheriff's deputies not guilty even though you saw on video them beating the hell out of him and he wasn't being violent towards them he just basically went on the floor in a fetal position and this big black burly punk ass dude just kept beating on him then they put him in a restraining chair and then put the tasers to his nuts again this is another good segue that's another good segue. Apparently, people don't understand what slavery is. And we do a lot to try to educate them on what slavery really is. But apparently, they don't know. And they don't know what abolitionists are by default because they don't know what slavery is. And that seems to be going on right now with the story about uh, the move by women on 20s to get a woman on a $20 bill. And I got no problem with that. Put a woman on a $20 bill all you want to. But why do you have to pick Harriet Tubman? Why a slavery abolitionist? You know, they say money is the root of all evil. Why would you want to put her face on the root of all evil? Why would you want her to be the face of capitalism? But apparently that's what they want. And one of the people who were competing with Harriet Tubman in their online voting uh, was the mother of abortions. Uh, what's her name? Harriet Mar- Sanger. Margaret Sanger. <laughs> Harriet Sanger. So you had her in the Ma- same Mary, Harriet uh, Sanger. No, Margaret. Margaret, Margaret, Sanger. Yeah. Margaret Sanger. Yeah, Margaret Sanger. You had her in the same arena with Margaret Sanger. And, and that right there was a damn shame. Harriet Tubman gave her life in every way, shape, and form you can imagine physically freeing people who were enslaved despite the laws of the land at the time. Can you imagine one of these enslavers getting paid all in 20s just so they can get giggles? Like, look at me, I'm getting paid in Harriet Tubman's and I'm, you know, managing all these slaves here today. Or how about if somebody wants to buy stocks in prison and they pay with Harriet Tubman's? Drug deals, prostitution, all the dirty things surrounded around money and you want to put Harriet Tubman's face on that? I just think that is insulting as an abolitionist. I don't think you understand who she was. I don't think you understand what slavery was. It's just my opinion. But that's just how I feel. And I've asked people how they felt. And they were like, oh, they right away, that's great. It's good news. I love it. Why do you love it? Oh, yeah. You love it because a, a, a black famous person who is uh, great in our eyes is being put in a prominent position for all to see. But what position is that? The position is on as the face of capitalism. Come on, people. Y'all can't figure this out. They don't want to figure it out, man. This is the part of the argument. And when I say that, I don't mean the argument between you and me. I'm just saying, like, the the argument, the overall debate or the conversation about these issues, this is the part where, like you said earlier, what you try to focus on is the people that are doing the work, the people that do care, the people that are getting it, that are out here. And I fully believe in that, too, and I'm with you on that. I'm trying to connect the build with whoever's out here trying to build. I'm down with that. 
But our problem is not the inability of the people that's working to figure out what's wrong or present solutions or give their lives and everything that falls under the umbrella of giving their lives to fight and work towards changing the situations for the better. That, that None of that is our issue. Our problem is the dumbasses, including in this group, these people you're talking about that support this and believe in this, and get just like with the Bernie Sanders legislation. Uh, would you would you call it where where they just give you something to make you uh, uh, they 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 just kind of give you something to make you feel better about it for now? Mm-hmm. But they're not really changing the problem. Just like he hasn't addressed that anymore, and he had opportunity at the Democratic debate to to address the end of private prisons legislation he brought out. Just like with this, people are given something to make them feel okay about the situation so everything ain't so bad. I have you to know there's going to be, if it's 40 million black folks in America, just like Obama still got a 95-plus approval rating among black people in America, it's going to be, out of 40 million black folks, it's going to be a good solid 30 to 35 million. They love, they love this idea. Negroes gonna be going to get twenty dollar bills to get them framed, to take pictures, smiling with them next to their faces. They gonna save twenties for their babies. They black folks are gonna eat this up, yep, like cotton candy, yep. and they're going to ignore all that much more because that's why they want to accept it. So they can turn their backs on the brother that just got killed by the uh, Palm Beach the unmarked cop we were talking about at the beginning of the show. So they can turn their backs. On all these people you just talked about dying in custody, and this fool sitting here, the damn executive director of the Kentucky Human Rights Commission, talk about the slavery. Uh, slavery is lynching people. Slavery is castration. No, slavery is slave labor, fool. But people don't want to face those things. They want to see a Harriet Tubman $20 bill so they don't have to think about that. So they can tell you, look, man, the racism is over. The problem is not race. The problem is the 1% making us all slaves. The problem is not this. The problem is not that. God made us all with the same blood, brother. Look at this $20 bill. It's got a black woman's face on it. America, this is, the, this is what these fools want to think and believe. So they don't have to pick up a damn weapon, as Scotty said a couple years ago. Pick up your weapon and follow me. They don't want to. They want to get $20 bills with hearing on it. And say everything is okay. That's our problem. My weapon of choice is my pen and my voice until I have to pick up something a little bit more solid. Amen. Yeah, man, this is just to get black people to buy into um, being American. Exactly. That's what it is. That's all it is, man, to make you think that slavery was something of the past. Because then, well, who was that on that bill right there? Oh, that's abolitionist Harriet Tubman. She was a real brave woman. You know, this country, back in the day, they used to practice slavery and all this and that. And, you know, just totally just unaware that it is actually still going on. It It is correct to say that slavery was never abolished. It was only amended. So that's just to get black people to stay asleep, man. See, every day we're we're making you more and more American. Now you got a but you already got a black president. Now you're gonna yep. get a black woman on the twenty dollar bill. You know, you're coming up in the world. Scotty, if they made the Statue of Liberty a black woman, 
like literally remade it into a black woman, adopted uh, some old school hip hop as the national anthem, and made all our diplomats African Americans and still practice racism, white supremacy, and oppression, it wouldn't make a damn difference. You'd just be masquerading as something you're not. Yeah, but that that's all that is about, man. That's the whole purpose of giving black people an Oscar or Academy Award or or Globe or whatever they give them these little awards and stuff like that. And I'm like, like the other day, I heard it was Lapita. Uh, well, how you how you say her last name? Nyong'o, something like that. Nyong'o. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they it, the other day last week, I think it was Har- in Harlem. They they made it officially Lapita Nyong'o day i said well i hope they was honoring her for feeding some children or clothing some children or housing some children or doing something i hope they didn't honor her for being you know a a a slave character in 12 years of slave but something tells me that's why yeah yeah that's it's just it makes no sense dude i'm trying to live a logical life i'm trying to learn more to be more logical and recognize reality and often I don't even feel like I'm living in the same world with people, man. Like, how can you see that? <laughs> and I see this. Like, we we we're not even communicating properly here. You know, we don't even I, see. I, I know that feeling, same. Max. I Your know that feeling. Looks like oranges. Because, <laughs> like, sometimes when I'm talking to like a sister or another family member, and and they'll get on me, they'd be like, "Calm down, Scotty. Calm down." And I'm like, "No, don't tell me to calm down. How do you not see this?" How, I mean, right. what, what, what's the problem? What is it that you are not getting? How can I break it down? <laughs> That's why I do what I do and physically go to these groups and gatherings and gather people and talk with them and just show them everything I know in whatever time that I have to be able to do that and hoping that some of the information I give them is the missing part. And more often than not, it is because I bring a, a bunch of information with me and any one of them could be that one thing you were missing to make you see now. And usually I'll walk away with everybody being abolitionists because they get that opportunity. But we need an army like that out there waking people up so together we can make this difference. And and for those people that may take offense to me saying, you know, I'm not an American or this or that, why would you want to be associated with a corporation that practices slavery and human trafficking? Huh. Man, Scotty, don't apologize to them. I'm, let me hush, because I'm about to call folks something that they ain't they given names. I mean, but I mean, we, I, you don't owe nobody no apology if they in that damn delusion. What kind of fool is going to sit up here and say they want to be in a, Why would you even want to be? What, what, state, what year since this country was founded was a good enough year for you to take your name and say, I want to be a part of that? Just, what, what was a good year? Just pick one. <laughs> Give me... I got 1822, 1917. I mean, what year was a good year for you to be like, yep, I'm an American. That, that was a great year for us. This is a question that I have been asking myself for many years. Uh, basically, because of my own upbringing and heritage. But I come to an understanding that I'm not so much a, an American as what happened to a group of people because of America. I'm the results of that. I wouldn't even exist if there had not been an America. Hmm. Uh, 
I don't know, man. I think what, what I mean, do you I mean? know what you're saying because of the very specific aspect of like of your heritage. I can understand where you're coming from with that, but I still that don't make me want to say I like I love America or I'm call myself American thing either. But I'm saying that I'm the results of America. That you know, yeah. that's that's what makes me American is because I wouldn't even be here. Nobody like me would be here if not for what was done in the process of America. Yeah. Well, America was a process. Mm. Mm. I, I don't. I don't see. I, I mean, not to cut you off, Scotty. I just. I, I mean, I just. I hate to hear you sound like it's a chance that you might think that some kind of way you might offend somebody because you got sense enough to know what kind of shit we really what, what we really dealing with. I'm sorry. And these people would actually try to take you to task over having sense enough to not want to sit there and associate yourself with possibly one of the most evil regimes in the history of the planet, of civilization as we know it in history. We don't, what can you compare to this place? I know, right? I mean, for for as big and violent as the Roman Empire was, they didn't have smart bombs and drones and, right, <laughs> and tanks and planes to do the killing on a scale. The chemicals, that, the chemicals yeah. they putting on folks in their food, in their water, sterilizing people with the crops they putting. Tell me about America sending seeds, so called through through aid uh, organizations. The land that was barren, when they came in and colonized the fruit-bearing lands and pushed the indigenous people to the barren lands, then turn around and take machines over and try to make crops, grow crops in the desert, and give them seeds that are genetically engineered to sterilize the people. As much as I Roman, the Romans ain't got nothing on that, man. As much as I'd like to expand further on this, we still got two seconds. I know, we got to move on. Okay, okay. If there's any callers that want to chime in. Uh, yeah, I've been watching the board. Uh, we don't have anybody that wants to chime in. But see, you know, let, let me just wrap it up by saying this. Because we're trying to recruit new abolitionists. And some yes, people are. still is in that, that fog. And they don't know exactly. They're still <laughs> living in an illusion. You know, they, they rah, 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 and, yep. and 4th of July hot dogs, hamburgers, and, and when they hear somebody saying, you know, that I, I don't want to be associated with America, don't call me an American, just call me black, just call me by my name, Scotty, and all this, and they, they don't understand it. They think they listen to a bunch of communists and Marxists and, and people that want to overthrow the government well you know you don't have a government to overthrow but I do want to dissolve the corporation <laughs> I'm with you on that brother I'm with you then on that then start over new man you know they had 200 years to get it right and they still ain't got it right and I have no no uh, belief whatsoever it's just not logical to believe that they'll ever get it right so let's just start over man well, I know I don't have all the answers, but I do know what question to ask in one particular incident, and that is, did slavery ever end at any point in history? And if the answer no. is no, then we got work to do. No, an emphatic no. We got work to do, and that is a real we thing. 20, we got a $20 bill now with Harriet Tubman, so we, get, we, hey, we on our way. Well, <laughs> I guess we time to go into our next segment and give give uh 
some shout outs to those brothers and sisters that are being freed. Uh, we do this every week. It's our rider of the 21st century underground railroad. And we document and record and give props to those, as I said, who leave these places. Sometimes they only leave for a few days before passing Quick away. Quick question. Um, before you go into that, I was thinking about this earlier as I was looking on the planning page. And I was like, you know, that brother we talked about uh, a couple of days ago that, um, you know, the jury found him innocent. I would consider him to be a rider of the Underground Railroad, would you? Yeah, I think he, I would consider him to be one. Uh, I he mean, wasn't actually in, well, if, unless he was jailed and didn't pay his bail. I mean, but, but they still was putting him in, he was still in the process of they going. stopped him from being enslaved. Yeah, he? so I that would say was he was a rider of the Underground Railroad, abolitionist on the jury. All right, yeah, yeah right? Got to look at it that way. Just a thought, you know, for the towards the future and featuring uh, underground uh, railroad riders. Right, more, more uh, spreading the horizons to see who's getting free. All right. Well, today's rider, uh, Johanna, did you want to handle him? Sure, sure. Today's rider of the 21st century underground railroad is a brother named Shaw World who, just to show you all how quickly a person's freedom from this slave system can just turn on a dime, last year, um, I don't know if it was on this program, or well, I guess it would have been on this program, we made mention when we were talking about John Burge, Chicago cop John Burge, and like his whole saga of everything he did and all the people and everything we've discussed on this program, uh, Sean World was actually denied uh, a new trial just like a year ago. So he's been trying, you know, to get out of this. And the judge, um, Judge uh, Jorge Alonso, ruled uh, that World was not a credible, was not credible, and denied his petition when he was telling them even then that, you know, it was a detective that beat him and, and forced him to, to confess. So this whole thing turns, and on every one of these cases, we always end up talking about how these people just continue to petition year in, year out, it'd be 10, 15, 20 years of petitioning the same position and the same thing. In this case, it's the same way. They just all of a sudden turned it over. So more than 25 years after police tortured him into confessing to a murder he didn't commit, Shaw World walked out of an Illinois prison Wednesday afternoon, finally free. Um, appeals court in August threw out World's conviction and ordered a new trial, but he never went back to court. Prosecutors finally dropped his case. And on Tuesday, a judge dismissed all charges. World 45 is the first person granted a new trial on a referral from the Illinois Torture Inquiry and Relief Commission formed in 2009 to address the wrongful convictions of people tortured into confessions under the watch of disgraced former police commander John Burge, who is still receiving his full retirement pension. <clears throat> Burge and his so-called midnight crew of detectives tortured an estimated 192 people, and if they tell you it's estimated at 192, it's actually probably about 2,500 to 10,000, mostly black men during the 70s and 80s and early 1990s. World was greeted outside the Hill Correctional Center in Galesburg, Illinois, shortly after noon by his mother Irma, with whom he had been living when he was arrested. His attorney, Tara Thompson of the University of Chicago Law's Exoneration Project, said World's relatives made the release a joyful occasion. It was perfect weather when he walked out of jail today. She said it was a kind of day that inspires hope. But there was a sad truth world must continue with, Thompson said. He knows there are a lot he's missed. He knows there's a lot that he's missed. 
she handed Will her cell phone so he could call loved ones, but it had a touch screen, and he had never even seen something like that before. He says the world's a completely different place than it was in 1991. Uh, I'll put up the link because we are running short on time, so I'll put up the link on the page, but it's, the, you know, wash, rinse, repeat, man. The same stuff we keep telling you that they do to, to folks, particularly black folks, black males, black women, black children. So peace. Shout out to the brothers, uh, Shaw World. He's back out, uh, rider of the Underground Railroad, 21st Century. Salute. Salute, brother. Another John Burgess uh, victim. Like, uh, the world just passed you by. But he's free. He's free now. And that means a lot. Yeah. Not only to him, but to his family. Yeah, man. Definitely yeah. that is a good thing. Bittersweet. It is bittersweet, but it is something special. Well, there you have it. That was our 21st century rider of the Underground Railroad. Our next segment will take us back further into the past where we do the same thing, but for those who have laid the groundworks for what we to do today as abolitionists, and that is our abolitionist in profile, who today is William Lampert, 1817 to 1890. Abolitionist and civil rights activist William Lampert was born in Trenton, New Jersey in 1817, the son of manumitted father and a freeborn mother. As a young man, Lambert was educated by abolitionist Quakers. 23-year-old Lambert arrived in Detroit, Michigan in 1840 as a cabin boy on a steamboat and eventually started a profitable tailoring and dry cleaning business. Upon his death, Lambert left behind an estate estimated at $100,000. Lambert was also a founder of the St. Matthew's Episcopal Church and served as one of its wardens. In Detroit, Lambert soon became active in the movement to secure suffrage for the black men of Michigan. He founded the Colored Vigilant Committee, Detroit's first civil rights organization. In 1843, Lambert helped to organize the first state convention of colored citizens in Michigan. He was subsequently elected chair of the convention and gave an address regarding the right to vote that was directed not only towards black people, but also to the white male citizens of the state. Lampert also worked to bring public education to the black children of Detroit. Lampert was a friend of radical abolitionist John Brown, and like the more militant abolitionist leader Henry Highland Garnet, Lambert called for the slaves to rise up against their masters. At times, Lambert's very publicly held uh, fugitive slaves escaped to Windsor, Canada, which was just across the Detroit River from the city of Detroit. Lambert's most famous incident occurred in 1847 when he had the owner of a, a fugitive slave, Robert Cromwell, thrown in jail so that Cromwell could escape to Canada by boat. Much of Lambert's abolitionist work, however, was done behind closed doors. Unlike the abolitionist movements which emerged in other northern states, African Americans were excluded from Detroit's anti-slavery society. Damn, I gotta say that again. African Americans were excluded from Detroit's anti-slavery society. Lambert later claimed to be the creator and president of the secret organization, African American Mysteries, Order of the Men of Oppression. In 1885, two decades after the end of slavery, he shared his story with the Detroit Tribune and produced documents, including lists of transported slaves and correspondence with John Brown, Lucretta Mott, Wendell Phillips, and William Lloyd Garrison. 
The order kept few physical records, and outside of Lambert's and several other accounts, most of the evidence of his existence comes in the form of rumor and cryptic side in the Journal of White Abolitionists. The order was nearly exclusively African-American in composition. Only a few white men rose past its lowest degrees. Lambert created three degrees, including an initial modeled after a slave's punishment. The order had secret words, grips, rites, and solemnities, all of which were designed to prevent the uninitiated from receiving the higher knowledge that came with ascension, i.e., practical information pertaining to the business of their efforts to help black men and women escape out of the United States. Lambert claimed that in its heyday, the men of oppression transported 1,600 slaves to their freedom per year, moving people through their network of homes and barns from Ohio River to Lake Erie in 10 days. While that number is an exaggeration, there is little doubt that the secret organization helped fugitive slaves flee to Canada. William Lambert died on April 28, 1890, at the age of 73. He was buried in Detroit's Elmwood Cemetery. And we here at New Abolitionist Radio salute you, William Lambert. Salute. 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 Whew. Brother was like, rise up. And when they didn't rise up, he went and made a secret organization of people that were willing to rise up. And mm. <laughs> they freed 1600 by their own records. Wow. That's pretty awesome. And he left behind $100,000, which at that time was like $100 million now. You know, I mean, this may sound crazy, but see if y'all can find the logic in this. It was actually easier for people to free the enslave back then than it is today. <laughs> Hmm. Yes, because there was a place to go like Canada. There was north for freedom. Here, our Underground Railroad is simply to get out of a cage, not to actually go somewhere that's offering us freedom and equal rights. Yeah. Um, before we move on, um, I found the Kentucky uh, Human Rights Commission Facebook page. And the uh, <laughs> second entry, I tagged you in it, Max. Uh, listeners, if y'all want to go check them out. Uh, what is this page? Kentucky Commission on Human Rights. Kentucky Commission on Human Rights. On uh, October the 13th, they made a post about what we uh, shared with you today. And I definitely left some comments, and we're asking other abolitionists to go and uh, leave your comments affirming that slavery was never abolished. It was simply amended. But... As I'm looking over this page, you know, I'm looking at the other people that have commented on this page. And I see our elder abolitionist, Lee Wood, had been going at them about that since uh, as early as September the 4th. Wow. Hmm. I like Lee Woods. I'm glad he is going after him. Yeah, well, actually, um, the first abolitionist radio program on Black Talk Radio Network was hosted by Lee Wood, um, and some things occurred, and he could no longer host, and that's when um, um, New Abolitionist Radio was born. Awesome. Hey, Scotty, do you mind if I do a quick plug so people know? Of course not, Max. So one thing, if you'd like to help us recovering from the disaster that we've been through, I posted a video on New Abolitionist Radio to give you the information that you'll need. We appreciate whatever help you can give. And uh, tomorrow I'll be in Columbia, South Carolina uh, at, uh, at the park with Omari uh, 
Brother Omari here from Columbia, South Carolina, from Charleston, Black Lives Matter Charleston at Finley Park at 6 p.m. performing spoken word poetry with my wife, Tribal Rain. And Saturday, I'll be at Ubuntu Institute for Community Development, which is in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and I'll be giving an abolitionist workshop at 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. So please, if you're in the Spartanburg area, come on down and get that knowledge. I'm willing to give it if you're willing to receive it. Thanks, Scotty. Oh, man, you don't have to. Uh, as much work as you put in, as much work as we all put in, and it's unpaid. It's not like we're getting paid. We ain't got George Soros underwriting Black Talk Media Project where we can pay people a salary for all the work that they put in to bring people information or not. So, Max, you ain't even got to ask, brother. Thank you, man. Well, we've got a few seconds left for each of us to make some final comments if you'd like to have some. Peace to the abolitionists, death to the oppressors. (laughs) There you have it. Brother Scotty? Um, I just want to say, man, um, yeah, next week we are going to take a week off. So, um, yeah, so we can take care of some things so we can recharge our batteries and whatnot. Uh, but you better believe you never take a day off from fighting against 21st century slavery and human trafficking. And that is what we're uh, fight facing people. When we read these articles to you and, you know, we try to point out the language that they're using to continue to pull the wool over people's eyes. And we have been doing this program for almost five years, you know, four years, four and a half years, somewhere around there. And, um, I mean, we put in a lot of work. We do a lot of reading. We do a lot of researching. We just not coming on here telling you our feelings. You know, we feel like slavery is still happening today. No, we can point you to evidence to where you should be able to logically deduce that slavery was never abolished. They just simply amended it and it's still being practiced to this day and that no one is safe. It doesn't matter if you're an old person, an elderly person, if you're, you know, uh, hitting that midlife crisis or whatnot, or if you're a young person or even a child, that you are not safe behind these enemy lines when when one of the way the primary ways uh, they keep the economy afloat and keep people employed is by employing people to enslave other people. That is what this country is trending towards. There ain't no manufacturing jobs coming back or nothing like that. We hope that, you know, that America really was had a bunch of innovative entrepreneurs that is going to create all create all these jobs. And look, that ain't happening. That ain't happening. And, and so what is happening is that they are creating jobs by putting people into slavery. They're creating wealth by practicing human trafficking. And, you know, if you believe like I believe that that is the most evilest, despicable thing on the face of the planet that you can be engaged in, then I would just ask that you make that commitment to be an abolitionist. And I'm not going to tell you how to fight it, um, that there's this right way to fight it or there's a wrong way to fight it. No, no. As long as you fighting slavery, it ain't no wrong way to fight slavery. So um, I just hope that you will make that commitment to become. Um, new abolitionists in this 21st century and remember thank you abolition is a reason for a revolution so we can finally know peace 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 <laughs>